Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Greetings and welcome to Paradise Island. This is Under Consultation, a huge episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Cohen, and I'm not saying I'm a good thing, but I am amusing if you can walk away at the end. And showing Luke my own personal war wounds, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 6th of January, 1998 and FIFA 98 is still top of the video game charts the Spice Girls are still top of the pops with too much but Starship Troopers is your new box office number one in every age there is a cause worth fighting for but in the future the greatest threat to our survival will not be man at all Tomorrow must travel across the stars to defend our world. We are a generation commanded by fate to defend humankind. Everyone fights, no one quits. We are going in with first wave. You smash the entire area. You kill anything that has more than two legs. You get me? We get you, sir. But they will face an enemy more devastating than any ever imagined. We've talked about this film before, and Luke, by Jingo, we're going to talk about it again because Starship Troopers, a film that, despite being top of the box office over here, was a critical and a financial failure. This is a staggering cinematic failure because they spent a hell of a lot of money on this. And with, you know, a lot of good basis in there as well, it's it's 
Paul Verhoeven. It's the lad that wrote Robocop. It's Phil Tippett. It's the Robocop team back together again to work on another movie. And there had been a bit of a spat of big budget blockbuster movies throughout 1997. So they were like, yeah, of course, this is going to make a lot of money. Unfortunately, the, the critical backlash that this movie got meant that it had a sharp fall from grace after its first week. Very, very bad box office failure for, for TriStar. Now, would you say the critical drubbing it got from a lot of quarters is because people did not get this movie? Critics did not get this movie and they criticised a lot of things that were actually being done deliberately. That is, I would say, exactly what it is. And I think Paul Verhoeven has even said in interviews and stuff, he thinks that's why the film performed so poorly, is because critics did not get that this movie is satire. And I kind of get it as well. And I'm basing that really off. Like, look at the coverage the Games Master gave it when it was on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago, which is just that this is the next great big smashy shooty sci-fi explosion sfx epic and all of the marketing around the movie was this is the newest smashy splashy shooty bug explodey sfx gore fest big action movie and that's not what the movie is there is action in the movie of course there is but it's not really the point of the movie but that's not how the movie was portrayed so i think critics went into it expecting it to be something that the marketing team had told them it was it wasn't that and then they criticized it for it and also did not pick up that the fascistic overtones are not supposed to be positive yeah because you announced that you're doing a film based on heinlein starship troopers you know originally it wasn't actually based on starship troopers it was a very thematically similar film being written called bug hunt or something like that. They went, oh, that's quite a bit like Heinlein's Starship Troopers. Maybe if you, I don't know, increased the fascism, you'd you'd be able to do something. So they licensed it. But then they brought Paul Verhoeven in. And you've got Paul Verhoeven, a guy who made Robocop. And if you don't know, Robocop is also a satire. He also made Showgirls, also a satire. Spoilers, a few years from now, he makes Hollow Man. Luke, what is Hollow Man? It's a really fun movie and a satire. (laughs) This dude makes satires. And somehow, at least three films in, the marketing team never thought to watch the dailies and actually go, oh, it's a satire. Well, even if they did, I think it's hard to market a $150 million satire movie, but it is easy to market a $150 million action movie where humans shoot bugs. And also, back then, it would have been very, very difficult to sell a $150 million satire to people who, at that point, would probably still be quite in favour, in some ways, of some of the ideas being portrayed. America still has a massive gun problem. It still has a massive gun culture. And there are still the people that will say, you will take this gun from my cold, dead hands. That is part of it. Military lifestyle can be a way of life for huge tracts of the United States. And it's a matter of family pride. And then you've got Paul Verhoeven coming in going, this shit's bad. And this is corrupting our youth. Youth are losing their innocence. I'm not sure how they would market that in 1997. I'm sure as shit not sure how they'd market it in 2023. So I get why they marketed it this way. I understand, I don't approve, but I understand. What I actually have a more difficult time with, 
and I wear, I am armchair quarterbacking this, are the number of very storied and very intelligent movie critics that fucking bought the marketing line. Yeah. People yeah. that have championed underdog films, people that championed indie films that have gone against the mainstream, who just went, oh, this is just a big, dumb action movie, despite knowing Verhoeven's background, despite knowing his prior work. That irks me because it was their actions that in part tanked this at the box office and means that here we are just past its 25th anniversary and it's still only now really having people look at it and go oh yeah because of the show certain areas of the world are in a couple of years from now fight club is going to be released and it's going to take a good 20 years before people pick up that it's not the movie they think it is and there are certain people on non, you know, the, the right wing of politics who think that is a movie for them, not realizing that it is a movie that is making fun of them. Uh, and even with Slash of Dreamers, like I was reading through Roger Ebert's review of it, and Ebert references the book, so he is aware of the book, he is aware of Verhoeven's work, and he writes, Starship Troopers is the most violent kiddie movie ever made. I call it a kiddie movie not to be insulting, but to be accurate. Its action characters and values are pitched at 11-year-old science fiction fans. That makes it true to the source material. It's based on a novel for juveniles. I read it to the point of memorization when I was in grade school, I've improved since then, but the story has not. To be honest, I think the only way you can tell that story is as a satire. Yeah, absolutely you can. I mean, Verhoeven was... He wasn't massively in favour of this either. Like, he liked the idea of doing it because it was satire, but he does not like the source material. Like, he described it as too right-wing for him. The the guy who wrote it and one of the producers, John Davison, were, they were fans of the book because they grew up with it. Verhoeven did not like this source material. And then there were critics reviewing it being like, I think he likes the source material way more than he's letting on because he is doing so much of the source material on screen. That was the other side of it because there were people that just went, this is a very dumb movie. This is a very stupid movie. and The actors are bad and the action sequences are joyless, you know, because apparently war should be fun. And then there were people who went all the way the other end and went, no, this is right-wing propaganda. And I think the filmmakers may be Nazis. I think Paul Verhoeven may be a Nazi. I flunked out of college. I did not complete my degree in film, text and media and all that stuff. I can see it's a satire. I'm not saying that I think I'm cleverer than some of these people. I'm saying that I just don't understand how people would look at Verhoeven and his history of work and go, well, he's a Nazi. Yeah, there was a big stretch. Was, there was the Washington Post that uh, referred to him and, uh, and the writer as, as Nazis. When I first saw this movie, I didn't realise it was satire. Of course I didn't, because I was a teenager when I saw this, well, a young teenager when I would have seen this movie. In the same way that I didn't realise that Robocop was satire either. It's only since I've become an adult and I've rewatched them with adult eyes, I'm like, oh, right, I see what he is doing there. In the same way that when I first saw Flight Club, I did not realise the point that the movie was actually trying to make. I didn't realise it was a movie about toxic masculinity. I just thought it was a cool movie. And now I watch it and I'm like, oh, I see what they were doing there. So I can sort of imagine, like, you know, the way that Dominic Diamond talked about the movie on the show, it was... Yes, straight after Christmas, it'll be time to dust off your phony ID and head down the cinema for what promises to be the hardest special effects extravaganza in history. Starship Troopers, otherwise known as Humans Fight Bugs in Outer Space. So we have that, uh, that love triangle thing going on. Yeah, yeah, blah, 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 blah. But you won't be going to Starship Troopers for any of that stuff. You'll be going for the spaceships, the explosions, and most of all, those armies of alien bugs. 
We can't show you the gruesome evidence at this time of day, but believe me, they are nasty. Dominic Diamond, as an adult in 1997, going on 1998, saw that movie and was like, yeah, that's exactly what this movie is. Big, dumb action movie, and I had a great time. He did not see the satire in this, at least going by what was on Games Master, he didn't anyway. I don't know whether or not, like, it's... I mean, the satire is quite obvious, but if you're sort of in a 1997 mold where you've also had Men in Black or you've had Independence Day and you've had a lot of these big, glossy sci-fi action movies, maybe you do just sort of lump them all together, not realising the more subtler point that the film is making. Maybe. I will say, your point about Robocop, this is the movie that made me go back and look at Robocop and go, oh, yeah, same with Total Recall. Because even at the time in the film magazines, I don't even know if it was Empire or it was something else or whatever, but there was the talk about the tone and this, that and the other. And of course, I was already active on that their internet, so I was getting some discourse and discussion there. I watched it again between us talking about it last time and then recording this today. And like you said, the satire is is the, is there and it is obvious. Maybe what it needed was it needed the wink at the camera. But that's not what Verhoeven does. He doesn't do winks at cameras. This film is played straight. This film is played almost like what would a science fiction action movie look like that was a a right-wing propaganda piece, but kind of a what-if. But that doesn't mean that it actually is because the characters are as thick as mints. Rico Rico is so stupid. One, he asks a guy under his control to remove his helmet in a live fire test. Two... When the guy's head is literally tomatoed apart, he calls for a medic. He sure does. His skull could only be used for an ashtray at this point, and Rico is stupid enough to shout for a medic. That is the level of stupid of the character. There is no way that would be put in a film as a straight scenario. The biggest problem this film has got in terms of why it is failing is because it costs so much money to make. If this had been made... For 15, 20 million, it's a different conversation. Granted, it could not have been made for 15, 20 million because the special effects are outstanding and so much of the budget went into those special effects. But if it was made for 15, 20 million, if it was a mid budget movie, it's a different conversation. But because it was a high end, big budget movie, you can't really make. You, you can't make a Paul Verhoeven movie like that. No, not at all. Now, I've seen a couple of people on our Discord. Uh, just saying, I've not seen Starship Troopers. Luke, we're playing to many different age ranges on this podcast, some of whom were not even born when this movie was released. And uh, welcome to feeling old. Mm-hmm. I would say, please do watch this movie. It's on Disney+. Plus. It's a really nice, clean print. I, I think having listened to us talk about it, you will go into it going, this is a satire. Just make sure you view it as that. Because also, this is a very funny movie. It's really good. This is far funnier. And it's not funny for the reasons that some people would think, because the laughs are there to laugh at the stupidity of the characters, at the sheer moronic behaviour of them. Uh, In other bits of TV news on January 1st, because obviously there was also New Year's Day. It's 1998, everyone. And on January 1st, it was a big premiere for the BBC. I remember taping this one off telly, the network premiere of Forrest Gump. My mum always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. From crippled boy to football star and war hero, Tom Hanks is Forrest Gump. Where were you in? In the buttocks, sir. 
I'd like to see that. <laughs> Sir, what's your sole purpose in this army? To do whatever you tell me, Trail Sergeant? God damn it, Trump! You're a goddamn genius! I just felt like running. Forrest, I do love you. She was my most special friend. Winner of six Oscars, Forrest Gump. New Year's Day at 9 on BBC One. Which we have talked about quite extensively on this podcast already because we've had it as a previous number one. And on January 3rd, although I won't see it here, I'm going to see it when it moves to the B, Buffy the Vampire Slayer debuts on Sky. Have we come to that point already? I know, right? It feels mad. I mean, the fact that we're in 1998 feels pretty insane nonetheless, but it's things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer is when I was like reading up doing the research for Starship Troopers they were talking about like oh it's gonna it, they don't want to release it too far in 1997 because it's gonna have um, a competition with Scream 2 and I was like bloody hell Scream 2 I know what you did last summer's been and gone like we are in our period of time now uh, but Ash, before we get into the show itself, have we got anything going on in the magazine? The magazine of 1998. Yes, because here we are with Games Master Magazine. Issue number 64, January 1998. It's their mega preview special for 1998. And a whole new section of news. Lots of stuff we'll get into on episodes where we haven't spent so much time talking about Starship Troopers. But just to kick this one off, because the Saturn still gets its own little column. One of the exciting bits of news that caught my eye this month is Virtua Fighter 3, maybe? Maybe indeed. No, but (laughs) the will-they-won't-they-release-it mystery surrounding Virtua Fighter 3 has taken another twist as it has now appeared on an official release schedule available from the Sega Japan website. This follows a Sega official last month claiming that the game wouldn't be appearing on the Saturn. So come on, Sega, is it happening or what? What a strange internal communication thing to be going on of, we're not releasing it. It's on a Japanese release schedule, but we're not releasing it. And it's Mm -hmm. still a little bit too early for it to be an early Dreamcast title, because also that would be 3TB. That would be a different iteration of it altogether. Welcome to Games Master's Desert Island, where life is hard and we have to make do with what's washed up on the shore. Recently, we found this plastic milk crate, which Leanne has fashioned into an impromptu pouffet. Yesterday, we came upon this polythene sheet, which Helena has magically transformed into a conservatory extension. And why? Earlier today, we found this fantastic Honda CBR 900 Triple R double overhead cam 16 valve fuel injection fire blade. I'd now like to invite the viewers to pick themselves off the floor following that fantastic gag. And let's find out what's on today's show. The thing I, I like the most about this introduction here, it's a it's a good gag nonetheless anyway, you know, using things to wash up on the beach as, as other items. The cling film as a, as a conservatory extension is particularly great. And then the punchline being also this very nice shiny bike uh, washed up on the beach. You mean the Honda CBR 900 Triple R, actually a double R double overhead cam 16 valve fuel injection fire blade? I wrote down here, they also found a bike that has a lot of names. A lot of that is good, but it's the fact that Dom ends this off being like, and while I allow you to recover from how good that joke was, here's what's coming up on the show. That made the joke funnier, tenfold. It's so much better. The only thing that actually got a bigger laugh out of me, other than the post-punchline punchline, was just that opening gambit of Leanne turning a Commodore Garden milk crate into a pouffet. <laughs> a little pouffet. A pouffet. 
Do they still exist? Yes, uh, my uh, mother-in-law has one. And my wife and I have walked around. In fact, we were walking around shops in Hastings just this past weekend, looking at them and being like, that'd be really nice in the house. My wife wants one. I remember my nan having one, and then I don't think I've seen them since. But I'm glad to know they are still out there in the world, the poofets and the kind of footstools of the world. Yeah. I think for my wife, she kind of wants them. My wife's like four foot 11. So it's like, it's, it's uncomfortable to sit on sofas. It's actually good support. The other thing I really enjoyed about this is more of that SFX, like, it's almost like Jimmy White's whirlwind snooker. That was my exact note of ask Luke to put in the pool cue noise. <laughs> Going to be able to dig that one out of the archives. But it's the fact that it's it's uh, Tuscan Raiders. We've only filmed this once, but if we just play it forward, play it backwards, play it forward, play it backwards, we can get a lot more of this footage in there. It's a great opening segment. It's a really, really strong gag. Just the pedant to me was just annoyed that he said triple R, despite the fact that it says double R on the bike. And I'm like, come on, Dom. He's only got one take in him, you know that. <laughs> That's true. Other than handy home hints for scavenged goods, what's on today's show, Girl Fridays? All Saints get ready for some hot four-way action with Poi Poi. And we begin with an event we call Buff My Helmet for Extra Speed. Hot four-way action, eh? There's hot four-way action, but also helmet buffing. (laughs) This is one of my favourite titles we've had thus far. It might actually be my favourite title so far, Buff My Helmet for Extra Speed. The one next week I think is funnier just because it's so weird, but I do like buff my helmet for extra speed. And weirdly, as a joke goes, it actually has even more meaning now in the modern gaming world of buffs and debuffs and stuff like that. So this is an evergreen knob gag. You know, outside of knob gags, the thing that really excited me here, a four-player PlayStation game? This is great. This is the sort of thing we've been looking for when we're talking about GoldenEye challenges or those four-player races that we just aren't getting on the N64. They're not using the four-player ability to the best of its capabilities. Finally here, we're getting a four-player game on Series 7 and Games Master. Unfortunately, it's Poi Poi. It's a fucking shame that it's Poi Poi, but still... It's a four-player game. Almost three-player, but we'll get to that in a bit. Because first up is another big, beautiful, stupid Namco game. What is that game, Games Master? My first challenge of the day is on the brand-new arcade title, Motocross Go. Straddle on a large, throbbing machine. My two contestants just race to the finish on the intermediate course, taking care not to come unstuck on the many jumps and hairpin bends along the way. As usual, we'll be striding between each player's speed to keep abreast of the action, which I expect to be fast and furious. So let's grab the throttle and hit the dirt. Even Games Master's done in the knob gag. Straddle the large throbbing machine. Bloody hell, can't stop this show. They know it doesn't matter if they get cancelled anymore. They're just like, we're going out blaze of glory. They're announcing at the end of every episode how many episodes they have left. They, they know that they are, and particularly here, we've only got four more episodes left. This game was released around the same time as things like Alpine Racer, and a game we'll be talking about a little bit in the news section later today, Libero Grande. But it is interesting to look this up online because there's not a huge amount of information out there other than people going... It's another big stupid Namco game. But also there seems to be some disagreement about how many players it supports. Because here we clearly see two. Namco's official documentation and pamphlet and blurb 
says up to four. Oh, that would have been something amazing to see. But a lot of places listed as single-player arcade. Now, I guess for a single cabinet, it is single-player, but I feel that does the game a disservice because I don't think people look at a Daytona cab and go, it's single-player. People look at a Daytona cab and go, where are the other two, three, or four? Because that's how it's meant to be played. And I think this game should be seen in the same way. Although I will say that this is clearly where the Derek Lynch-Namco relationship comes into play because this game was not technically released until 1998. So here we are filming this sometime in 1997. These are pre-release machines probably being tested on location in one of the Namco parks in the UK. Yeah, they say here that they're on the medium course. It's probably because that's the only course available to them. Now, as you know, we've always strived for credibility on Games Master. Remember Robocop from Series 4? So please welcome to play this two real-life men of motocross, Paul Maitland and Justin Morris. Welcome to Justin. How are you doing, all right? Paul, you, you're on 125cc bikes, yeah, but Justin, you're on 250cc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that means you're twice as hard. I'm a man, basically, yeah. as it comes down to Well, it. that's right. Yeah, you know, I mean, I started off um, on 500cc when I was, like, 17. Right. And I sort of, like, worked my way down, not because of any sort of... You know, particular reason, but that's yeah. just what suited you me at the time. Because you thought it was too hard on the 500cc. Oh, no, I was, on him, <laughs> I was the, uh, really. <laughs> I was a 17-year-old whiz kid whippersnapper, you know, and sort of, like, yeah. kicking all the big guys then. Dom here with a beautiful throwback to Series 4, and it's funny given how much time we spent talking about Paul Verhoeven earlier. Let's talk about him some more, because Dominic says about Games Master constantly striving for credibility. Remember Robocop? Of course you do. I like it when Dom throws back to older episodes or things from previous series. He'd be like, do you remember when we did this? Like he did it with the Wigfield gag that we had a couple of episodes ago. And here's like, do you remember Robocop? The, like in next week's episode, he'll do a lot of things like, oh yeah, you might remember this because we featured it in Series 6 of Games Master. Oh yeah, we did some series similar to that in Series 5 of Games Master. I like that he has got his continuity that he likes to throw back to And the things that he tends to throw back to are things that he thinks are a bit cack, but tries to pretend that they're cool, like Robocop, something that he hated. So much so that they cut it from the show. And then not only did they cut it from the show, they cut it from the gore special as well. Yeah, how bad do you have to be to be cut from the show twice? Thankfully, our two guests today are no Robocop. Like we had with the skating lads last week, we have got two motocross riders in to play this game, which I think is it's, it's a bit cool. It, I think it adds a bit more to it. This is, again, Games Master moving away from kids off the street. And it, this one isn't pro gamers. It's actually taking people from a certain field and putting them into a video game of the field that they're in. And... You know, they've got two people here who are very highly regarded within the motocross sport. Like if you Google them now, like you will find their coaches for motocross. Paul Malin is in like motocross hall of fames. Like he, they're very, very well regarded riders. He's actually more famous now as the voice of motocross. He does a lot of the commentary, the announcing and all that kind of interview stuff for various motocross GPs. And like a lot of famous commentators for specific sports, he did get his start in the sport. And here we see him, not at the beginning of his career, but I would say more towards the midpoint. His career was abruptly ended. He had a back injury. And at that point, even though he was already on the decline, he did just have to go, yeah, time's up. And 
thankfully didn't just disappear into obscurity, he looked at other ways to apply his talents in the sport. To use another industry that we are both very familiar with, it's like wrestling. You have to retire as a wrestler. What else can you do? Can you be a manager, backstage agent? Can you be a commentator? Can you be an interviewer? Can you be an on-screen authority figure? You don't, you have too much passion for the sport to say goodbye. So what else can you do? And what can you do to elevate those that are coming up in your place? You become a commentator, or in the case of Justin, you become a coach. I like that they're on this show as well. I know Don made the joke about it, but to add a little bit of credibility to this challenge, it's fun to have pro riders playing a motocross game in the same way that it was fun that you had a pro skater commenting well the idea was funny to have a pro skater commentating on a skating game you know when you had they had rappers on a couple of weeks ago playing the new rapping game i think there's some really fun game show light entertainment mechanics to this as a format as opposed to just getting look these guys play this game a lot down at the local at the local namco funland We'll just bring them in to show off how good they are at the game. I do wonder, did the bike from the opening gag belong to one of these two? That's what I would assume. Either that or it's Derek's. Yes. Well, we will we will get to Derek because boy howdy, the boy is on fire for this episode. But the two lads come out, they're in full racing gear. Paul races 125cc bikes, Justin races 250cc bikes, which makes him twice as hard, or as Justin puts it, I'm a man. I think the problem that Paul has then is he has no good answer out of it because he's just like, oh, well, I used to ride 500cc and then I worked my way down for various different reasons. And Dom's finding new ways to dig into it was like, oh, because it was too hard for you. And he's like, no, no, I just, you know, and he, he knows he is being ribbed, but he cannot find that comedic answer to get him out of the situation he has found himself in. And then Justin's just like patting his belly going, oh, you know, it's the weight, isn't it? And I'm just like, oh, that's harsh. But also clearly amongst themselves, lads, 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 lads. Yeah. I don't think these two knew Dominic, but I think these three just immediately there was a spark between them because they are having a bit of fun, which somehow carries over into them talking about crashes. And let, let's just talk briefly now about crashes. Now, we're not saying they're a good thing, but they are amusing if you can walk away at the end of them. So what's the kind of worst ones that you've had? I've had a couple um, sort of high speed across the top of a hillside, um, caught a bump just as I took off and sort of like ended sort of like 1,900 feet sort of like through the air before I hit the ground at the bottom of the hill and just kept going, going, going yeah. and got away and walked away from it. But on no the other hand, no broken bones, just like a bent bike. Any um, chafing? No chafing, but then uh, at the same time, you can have like a real slow crash. Yeah. And I broke both bones in my leg, yeah. um, broke a rib and a collarbone and a lung, you know. So it's, and, a, and a dirty pair of pants. And a dirty pair of pants, and uh, yeah, it's not good. It doesn't look cool. What Street about crap. you, Justin? What's the scariest scrape you've had? Um, dislocated my shoulder twice, um, put an exhaust through my leg. Um, Put an exhaust through your leg. I did indeed. Yeah, it's one I thought of you'd pay a lot of money in private health for that. Oh, well, <laughs> how did that happen? Um, did you get on the wrong end of the bike or something? Yeah, basically, I was uh, <laughs> proceeding That's in the crash. The start of the race. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was going for a crash, and um, I happened to save it, but my leg was hanging out the back of the bike, sort of thing, and uh -huh. the exhaust just went straight to my thigh. Um, did, did the doctor believe you when like you phoned them up? Well, well I've got actually, an exhaust in my leg. No, he's doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was one of the 
worst injuries in my yeah. time. Oh, the, the index, finger, yeah. The index finger. Yeah. How um, did that come off? I caught it between the clutch lever and the handlebar grip, and I actually physically tore it off myself. Uh-huh. I like the, the, the trio interviewing each other because obviously Paul and Justin clearly know each other and it's one of those sort of trio interviews that highlights the fact that there is no studio audience there because you can hear just so much of the general conversation that we're having. Even when Dom tries to do his link, they're still making jokes and jibes and stuff because they're having fun. When you're watching them play the game, you can see them having a laugh and having fun with each other. It kind of reminds me a lot of Sol Campbell and Christian Daly a few mm. weeks back of just like a lots of camaraderie on set and just having a really fun day out oh, this chat about injuries like it's a chunky bit of the episode this this interview portion talking about the starts of their careers and then talking about injuries it's a long long bit of the show and some of it is stuff that seems fairly standard like I'm, I'm sure like across motocross and f1 and all these various things people will often go Oh, I went in this high-speed collision. I flew 100 foot through the air. I landed on my head. I walked away without a bruise. I accidentally tripped getting out of the car and I shattered my femur. That's the sort of thing that gets said all the time. And that's essentially what Paul says. But then we move to Justin, who's like, well, I've dislocated my shoulder twice. Oh, and an exhaust pipe went through my leg. Through his leg. That's Dominic's reaction as well. Dominic is almost pausing being like, sorry, sorry, what pardon? It went through your leg. And it's like, yeah, no, I just, you know, I got caught in a crash and then it just went through my thigh. It's just these things happen, I guess. Dom does say, did you get on the wrong end of the bike? Which I thought was a good one. And Paul's like, oh, a chance for revenge. This all happened before the start of the race. Ha <laughs> ha! Lads, 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 lads. Justin gets the stinger and goes, oh, also, I tore off my index finger. Yeah, it just casually just goes like, oh, yeah, and I've lost a bit of my finger. And he actually even says as well, Dom clearly has no time left to talk about this further, but he actually even says, oh, I had to pull it off myself. Because that's how, that's how hard Justin is. If Dom had five more minutes, even if Dom had 90 more seconds, he would have found some material within that, but he has got to throw to the news link because this chunk of the episode's already gone far too long. Are you talking about us or them? <laughs> i think it's it's a lot of fun it's a really good way to start the episode and it's it warms you to them to see them play the game it's just a really engaging segment of three guys getting on ribbing each other a little bit which continues on as dominic throws into the news section it may be a brand new year but the craze for revamping classic games of all continues unabated this time it's 10 year old nes title metal gear that's been given the update treatment in the 90s sequel, Metal Gear Solid, you take on the role of a top master spy and each of the game's huge levels chronicles your attempts to free hostages, blow bridges and desperately impress female colleagues with your collection of silencers. Comparisons with Resident Evil are inevitable, but already Metal Gear Solid is being touted in Japan as the most ambitious 3D project ever. With several billion polygons being used to render a single balaclava, this game looks set to deliver with some of the most dazzling graphics yet seen on the PlayStation. And with Konami's top-level designers on the job, it may just prove to be the GoldenEye beta that Sony have been praying for. We'll see for ourselves when Metal Gear Solid quite literally arrives this spring. Ash, I mean, you said earlier, like, what time are we in? Or, like, have we reached this point in our timeline when we talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer? 
Metal Gear Solid. Metal Gear is in the news items here. Like, it's it's one thing that we're going to be having, like, Resident Evil 2 and, you know, actual Resident Evil 2. We've had Final Fantasy 7, but it's Metal Gear Solid. And the thing that I love about this is you look at Metal Gear here and you're watching the footage that's being shown on screen and you compare that to the first rounds of footage we were getting on for the PlayStation back in Series 4 and then being shown in Series 5. What an amazing leap that console has made in a short number of years to now have. Like, there is no way the Saturn could be pulling off things like that, as we well know. And it's not even at the apex of its lifespan as a console. It's still got way more impressive things that it can pull up. Gran Turismo's on the show next week. Like, it is staggering where at this point and how good this looks at this point in the PlayStation's life cycle. Now, Metal Gear Solid could be an entire episode by itself. There's so much to say about this game. There's so much to say about its remaster remake Twin Snakes on the GameCube, which I played very recently and I absolutely loved. I actually really, really enjoyed that. But those of you that also subscribe or follow Mr. Dominic Diamond's little old purple column may have seen recently that Mr. Diamond has been throwing some shade at me for saying that I covet a 3DO. And in my last comment, I pointed out that actually, without the 3DO and without Way of the Warrior, we would have not had Crash Bandicoot, which means we would have not had Uncharted, which means we would have not had The Last of Us, which Mr. Diamond is talking about the TV show a lot. I now put it to you that we would have not had Metal Gear Solid without the 3DO because Luke, guess what? What's that? This game started development originally for the 3DO to the point of Easter eggs about this game appearing in the 3DO release of Police Snorts. Because this has had a, a very long development cycle. As I mean, you mentioned that it's, you know, it's originally 3DO-like. I love that the, the opening of this news item is almost pitching this as just another remake of an old game. This is like, ugh, it's just another remake, is it? Ugh, this time it's the Metal Gear game from the NES that's getting rebooted. We've been here for quite a while, but it's going to become like the big thing for the PlayStation. And man, I can see the amount of conversations that we had around the schoolyard about this game and the various different things in there, you know, like plugging the controller into the second port when you're facing Psychomantis. Oh, that's so good. Him reading the memory card and being like, ah, oh, I see you're playing Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Literally, like if they can pick out other Konami games and stuff, it's cool. And, you know, it's uh, there's there's obviously pervy shite in there as well with Meryl and whatnot. But it is a cool game. And I there's a lot of things I really like about this news item, which I I, I feel like I've, I've used that phrase a lot. It's also a great example of not really knowing how to describe what the game is. Because Dom's talking about, like, obviously it's going to get a lot of comparisons to Resident Evil. The only thing I could make me think of that's what he has said to that is because he doesn't know how to explain the camera angles. In the same way that when we get to Libro Grande later on, he describes that as a Tomb Raider perspective because he doesn't know how to explain the camera perspective of the game. The Tomb Raider perspective comparison for the football game, I get. But I, I looked at the screen like a dog being shown a card trick when he said about comparisons between Metal Gear Solid and Resident Evil because I'm now, what, 25 plus years removed from this game being released-ish? I don't think I've ever directly compared Metal Gear Solid and Resident Evil. The closest they've come is on a list of games I really enjoy playing on the PlayStation. The line that makes that even better is because he basically says, the comparisons between Resident Evil will be obvious. 
Will they? That's news to me. I can't work out other than it's a way to describe the camera angles because they aren't similar. Kind of in the same way that later on, he's like, oh, it's going to be so great. It's going to be the GoldenEye beta that the PlayStation needs. I'm like, I don't think I'd compare this to GoldenEye either, other than spies. And silences. Yeah, snow. And women. That's it, right? Ish. Dominic does not know what to make of this game whatsoever based on what he's been shown. As you said at the beginning, he does kind of list it as a remake, although in his own narration goes, it's a sequel. And it is. It directly follows on from Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake. So all they did was dislodge the colon, much like that exhaust pipe did to Justin. And they set this game six years after Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake. So it's set in 2005. Metal Gear 2 was set in 1999. And at the end of that, Snake retires and then he's brought out of retirement for Metal Gear Solid. What gets more confusing is if you ever look at a proper timeline of the Metal Gear games, the latest Metal Gear is actually one of the earliest because the latest Metal Gear game actually occurs before Metal Gear Solid. Technically, the first Metal Gear game in continuity is Metal Gear Solid 3, which released in 2004, but set in 1964. And then we move forward from that and Metal Gear Solid 5 is set in 1984. And then the original Metal Gear was set in 1995. And then Solid 2 was 99. And then Metal Gear Solid was 2005. And then Metal Gear Solid 2 was set in 2007 and or 9. So I tell you what, you can tell it's a Kojima product because this gets complicated. You can tell it's a Kojima product because it also starts eating its own asshole as well. Yeah, I'm not going to argue that, even though I love the games. I'm, I'm being glib there, but I have not played a Metal Gear Solid game since Metal Gear Solid. And even then I didn't finish Metal Gear Solid, my friend really, well, he liked Metal Gear Solid 2 to a point, and one of my housemates quite liked Snake Eater. But I have not played a game since Metal Gear Solid. And a lot of that is, as we've discussed on this show before, I'm not a patient gamer. So there's a lot of waiting around. It's why I'm terrible at Arkham Asylum and why I've, I just don't have the patience for it. It's why I really get wound up with Doom, with Doom Eternal. I've not got the patience for Metal Gear Solid. You've got shit to do. You don't have time to wait around and stuff. I don't have time to sneak around. I just want to run in and shoot people. But if you do, it's like... Bam, 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 bam. I was like, well, I've got no time for this. I just need to run through and start gunning people down. On the plus side, it does trigger some amazing music. That is true. That's going to be one of the best things about this. Not when we have Final Fantasy VII being reviewed as well. Get to download a lot of cool Metal Gear Solid tracks because there are a lot of them. As I say, there's so much we could say about Metal Gear Solid. A little note from production that I love, though, is Kojima used Lego to model the levels in the area to basically get an idea of what it would look like. And I think that is such a genius idea. I mean, nowadays with Unreal Engine and all these modern tools, it's very, very easy to quickly prefab a level just to kind of get down into it and work out what it would look like from different angles. But 1994, when this development started, 95, 96, Lego. Luke, it makes sense. Proof if proof were needed that Japanese people have a bit too much spare time on their hands. Digital cameras for Game Boys have just reached their shops and images can be captured and manipulated with the accessories built in software, allowing you to completely humiliate close personal friends by grafting on misshapen body parts. A UK release seems unlikely because we are smart. What doesn't make sense for Dominic Diamond, however, is the Game Boy camera, which he is quite dismissive of, to the point where 
he does not expect this to get a release in the UK. June 4th, 1998. In just a couple of months, Dom, and it will be on shelves. It was a very rudimentary monochrome camera for the Game Boy. It paired up with the Game Boy printer, which used thermal pe- printing paper like you get on your receipts from WH Smiths and the like. And they weren't marketed as serious photography items. They were marketed as a bit of fun. It's a bit of wacky nonsense. What I find kind of startling about this is I would have thought the Game Boy camera would have come much earlier in our timeline. It being here in like 1998 is just like, huh, really? Was that late in its lifespan? Because like the Game Boy has always been with us in Games Master. You know, the very first feature of Games Master was about the Game Boy. So I kind of just assumed the Game Boy camera was also around, you know, maybe a couple of years after that. Not 1998, but then again, the Game Boy Color came out way later than I remember as well. I think I always wanted a Game Boy Pocket camera, but I could just never justify it. There were way cooler things for me to be spending my hard-earned pennies on, and the Game Boy Pocket camera just wasn't one of them. It's a lot like the stuff that we were getting in the 64DD feature, couple of weeks back whereas you know sort of taking photos of your face and putting them into the the game boy only it's on the game boy so it's not going to look awesome but yeah i I, dominic's dismissiveness of it is quite funny really because he's basically just like i want to put this in here to make fun of japan for liking something so shit and you mentioned the 64dd there this was compatible with the 64dd in japan you could copy things to one of the 64dd floppy disks japan went way heavier into this than the rest of the world everywhere got the game boy pocket camera but japan went whole hog you could bring stuff into mario artist uh you could do things i think with sim city 64 all sorts of things it was it was it was considered there to be just part of this Nintendo ecosystem for the Nintendo 64 that just never really took off. I love the fact that it's compatible with basically every version of the Game Boy as well. There's only like one or two maybe that it's not compatible with, but you can use this on the Super Game Boy if you fancied. You could technically, I think, even use it with the Game Boy Player for the um, the, The the GameCube. Yeah, I've actually seen videos of people doing that. There was going to be a sequel product for the Game Boy Advance called the Game Eye never came out because I think at that point Nintendo look at it and go yeah you can go buy a relatively affordable digital camera now this probably doesn't have legs. Namco, normally a name associated with the sight of big men in pyjamas hitting each other, has plunged into the footy world with Liberal Grand. Using a first-person Tomb Raider-style gameplay, you control a single player, and you can link up with other machines for the first multiplayer football experience in arcade history. Unfortunately, their grammar is still terrible. Well, speaking of legs, it's a Tomb Raider-style football game, which is interesting because it is a football arcade game that puts you in control of just one player on the field. Now, the kind of conceit that Dominic pitches here is that you will then link up more of these, so you'll be able to link up, say, four, five, six, or whatever, and then you will just individually play as a player on the field and play it with your friends. I think the idea that Dom is kind of pitching is possibly, no pun intended, grander than the product we actually eventually get here. It's a shame because I actually love the concept of multiplayer football where your view is that roughly of the players. So it's not like playing multiplayer FIFA where 
you're all seeing the same screen and you've all got the same span or maybe even if you're in different parts of the screen you're still able to see the player behind you without having to turn around i like this idea of it almost being like a squad based tactical game nowadays with the left for deads and whatnot where you you have to be aware of where your teammates are all the time i think that's a very very cool idea and I do think that the way he sold it as the first multiplayer arcade football game is not technically accurate. There's a lot of multiplayer football games out there over history, but interlinked machines that allow you to play it in this way where everyone has a designated position on the pitch, that is pretty unique. And it's pretty cool. It did well enough to get a sequel. Admittedly, the sequel was only for home consoles because, of course, Namco, this got a conversion to PlayStation which was in itself quite popular. Welcome back to Games Master. We've got motocross boys Paul Merlin and Justin Morris about to take on the bizarrely titled Motocross Go. Uh, Help me to translate that into English is uh, Derek Lynch from Namco Wonder Parks. Why is it called Motocross Go? Well, um, <coughs> in Japanese, yeah. um, the Go has uh, a, a different meaning of, of excitement and um, uh, power right. and uh, expression. It basically means pants in Japanese, isn't it? <laughs> cross, pants. We have Derek Lynch in the booth because, of course, we do. It's a big arcade game. And Dominic's big first thing here is being puzzled by the name itself Motocross Go. And Derek gives a very good answer to this, a very serious answer to this. It just takes him a little while to get there. There's a lot of pauses and silences in in what Derek has to say here. You could see the dial-up modem going off in his head when he was trying to think of the answer. And as soon as he started talking, I was just nodding, going, yes, yes, you are right. You can see that in so many Japanese games where the go is the punctuation. You can see it in theme musics for Sentai series. Repetition of the word go, a real fist-pumping moment. Go in Japan can almost be used as an exclamation mark. Yeah. And I mean, this title has an exclamation mark, but it's basically two exclamation marks. One of which is the word go. Yeah. But Dominic, you know, th this is why the show maybe falls apart because you don't do rehearsals or anything like that. Because Derek doesn't know what the question is that is going to be coming next. He doesn't really have an answer prepared for it. So he just sort of stumbles his way through an answer that is right. Dom only said that because he just wanted to say pants. So Dom thinks that this game is called motocross pants and then he tries to throw Derek off even more by saying you've got a massive knob now Derek obviously <laughs> now uh, you're not stranger there's something big and powerful between your legs aren't you uh, I used to have about myself yeah, yeah. <laughs> and did you get yeah. any scrapes like the guys the guys have broken bones and everything like that did you ever did you ever get any crashes I did actually I did um, I was on a bike uh, with, a, with a friend of mine and he was saying look watch the road watch where you're going and I said don't tell me don't tell me where <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yep, something big and powerful between your legs. Of course, he used to have a motorbike and a huge cock. The, the fact that Derek was surprised that Dominic said this really shouldn't be the case. Derek, you've been here for a while now, bud. You should know that this was coming. But he does get his own back on Dom when Dom's like, well, you've had a crash of your own, haven't you? And he tells this story and it is a pitch perfect sketch. Yeah, you need to watch the road. Stop distracting me. I'm trying to look at the road. Doesn't look at the road. And then they crash. 
and seen. And Dom thinks it's hilarious. So do the other two. You can hear them having a good old guffaw at it as well. Dom writes about this in the book, about how he really liked Derek Lynch on this season because Derek Lynch just says the first thing that comes to his mind. And more often than not, it was funnier than the things that he was spending time trying to write down. And it's then just Derek trying to give some very sensible advice. It takes him a little while to refine and reset himself, basically, to be into, and now here is commentator mode, keep the bike steady, lean into the corners. I mean, you guys know, you ride motocross. There was a moment in this where he says, it's just like the real thing. And at that point, you can almost see in his eyes, his brain registering that I'm telling these guys how to do their job. Yeah. They do this for a living. They've won prizes. But he commits to it and he just keeps going through the rest of the tips. And they're all sensible tips. And controversial statement, maybe they should have listened to them a bit more. Perhaps indeed. The early doors, this is a very good back and forth Paul takes the lead, Justin takes over, but Paul immediately catches back up and Justin takes over. They're doing this, the flicking between screens thing. And again, I think that, that, that goes back to the conversation that we were having a few weeks back about why they wouldn't do four-player Goldeneye because they want to be able to do this flipping between screen things. Like Games Master even had to explain, we have to flip between screens here to show you how the game is playing. So it's quite like back and forth to begin with and this and the other, but it's when Paul takes a tumble that Justin gets his lead. But Paul catches up like very, very quickly. And I think that's the story of this race is that Paul catches up, takes a tumble, catches up Justin again, almost overtakes, but takes another tumble and is back on. And it's just, it's one too many. Had he not taken those crashes, he probably would have won this hands down. But Justin does hold on to that lead until the very end flies across the finish line, literally flies across the finish line. I think he's midair at the point when he hits the finish line. And this race is over so quickly, not because it's bad, but just because it's that speedy a game. It's that fast a game. This game is breathless action. All the way through it, Dom's having fun, Derek's having fun, Justin's having fun, Paul's having fun. Everyone is enjoying their part in this little show. I particularly enjoyed when uh, Derek just loses his words. And it's like Dom throws to him to say something. He doesn't have anything prepared to say. So he just goes like... Then you can see the yellow fight just in front of him. He's making a good crime, Derek. Of course. Here's Paul Derek. Here's the yellow one. Purple, double, purple, double. That's right, Derek. But we go to the post-match and Dom says Paul drove like a maniac and... In fairness, he did. He did, yeah. That second crash in particular, when he crashes into the back of Justin and like clips him a little bit is great. The third one, when he rattles past Justin and then clatters into that racer ahead is superb. Dom also points out he spent a lot of the race coming from behind. Not that that's a bad thing. Matron. And Paul then essentially goes, Justin was trying to have me killed. Yeah, it was his dirty tactics dirty tactics and he may have taken a hit out on me i I like justin throwing back to the conversation at the start being like it's because we're on butcher bikes like you know he can really handle it and paul's like yeah i mean in fairness those are 250 cc bikes i'm out of my comfort zone here so justin's like yeah well i guess me winning was inevitable then they're sticking with their 250 125 500 cc set of gags and paul's leaning into it at this point 
they just look like they were having fun all the way through it, all the way through the post-match, and Justin gets his joystick. A nice day out they had. Having failed the audition for the part of Raptor in Jurassic Park, we cute green dinosaur Yoshi appears on the N64 in Yoshi's Story. In charge of the project, none other than the Japanese gaming genius and Mario inventor Shigeru Miyamoto. The godfather of gameplay is back with a 2D platformer that will just blow you away. Absolutely. I mean, forget technology. This is an object lesson in how to make a brilliantly designed playable game. You can take your texture mats, polygons, and stuff them straight up your little green baby dinosaur, because this game is brilliant. Graphically, it has a lot in common with the first Yoshi game on the SNES. It's very childlike, very dreamy. It, the whole thing looks like it's been set in a nursery, but it doesn't detract from the fact that it's fiendishly addictive. As with most Nintendo games, there's a very large number of levels to explore here, and every single one has a little amusing sequence in it, or a little new twist or turn. Yoshi's story comes along and dispels any fears of the 2D genre being dead. Now, the thing about this game is that it transcends its cutesy settings by being superbly designed. It's got a well-paced learning curve that will have you coming back again and again. Can I pitch to you a theory here that I have about this review of Yoshi's Story? I mean, you can. I don't think I could say no. I don't know what you would do if I said no. <laughs> I'd have just moved on and just recapped what they said. But here is my uh, theory as to as to what has happened here. So they talk about how this is a really great 2D game. And the reason why it's such a great 2D game is that the, uh, the god of 2D games Shigeru Miyamoto is the man behind this game. And that's not true, because Miyamoto is not the man behind this game. Miyamoto supplied some designs and stuff, but he is not the man behind this game. I wonder if the Games Master Production team, or Rob, or whoever it was, had been told that, and because this is still like, you know, primordial internet age, that they just ran with it, and just assumed that is the case, this is a Miyamoto game. And I then wonder, as like, do they know that Miyamoto's been involved in loads of games on the N64, like Mario 64 and Lilat Wars and Ocarina of Time and Wave Race 64 and that and the other? I, I, I don't know. I just thought it was a very interesting thing. They make this whole big song and dance about the fact that it's a Miyamoto game. And it's not really... No, it's not. And I was going to raise the same thing. And in fact, it leans into a couple of weird things about this entire review segment. But we'll get to the next game in a bit. They're definitely writing that Miyamoto's fingerprints are on it. Not even just a couple of designs. There are some bits in here which you look at and you play and you're just like, that is just absolute essence of what he does and who he is. Maybe that's in part where it comes from. But they're not wrong. It is an amazing, amazing game. It's a brilliant 2D platformer that does just show you don't need 3D. As Richard says, you can take your texture-mapped polygons and stuff them up your little green baby dinosaur. It goes against the argument that Dom was making just a few weeks ago when they previewed this game, which is that it's a 2D game. In this 3D world, what are they thinking? But here you've got Richard and Rob being like, no! It's a fun game. It's fiendishly difficult. It's got a wicked learning curve. The graphics look superb. The level design is brilliant. This is proof positive that you do not need to be a big Flash 3D game 
to be cool and important in 1998. They are 100% right. And I wonder if their quite confrontational nature and approach to this is because they heard Dominic's news piece from a few weeks back and were just like, motherfucker. Because Dom's wrong. He's wrong and Nick Diamond. But even Dom is kind of begrudgingly not hazing this game in his intro. He makes a joke about Jurassic Park and that's fine, but then he just lets Richard and Rob take it away. And they love the game. The one thing they don't mention, and it was a criticism this game got from a lot of quarters, is it is quite easy. But it's a game that I played many times over. The fact it was easy didn't remove my enjoyment and didn't stop me wanting to replay it. Because it's interesting, isn't it? Because Richard even says it's fiendishly difficult at times and it's got quite the learning curve to it. But yeah, I, I think a lot of people when playing the game was like, eh, it's pretty easy. You can, it, you won't struggle that much playing it. It's got some fun game mechanics. There are a few little tricks that can prove a little tricky, but once you master them you're kind of just on the way and you know it going forward. Really, really nice use of the analog joystick on the N64 for the egg throwing thing. I think that was really, really well done, really nicely done. I I, I want to go and play it. It's on the Switch. It's on the Switch online. I just haven't got round to it yet. I need to see if it works well with my tribute controller because, yeah, that soundtrack's still living in my head. And also, to, to Dom's point you made earlier, the reason why that Yoshi failed his audition to be a raptor in Jurassic Park is because he was too busy playing Yoshi in the Super Mario Brothers movie that came out at the same time. Oh, man. That's like turning down Mortal Kombat. It's, it's Will Smith turning down The Matrix to do Wild Wild West because he just didn't understand The Matrix. And he just wanted to fight a giant mechanical spider in the third act. Is that what we're calling Chris Rock these days? <laughs> 93% a game that dispels any thought of the 2D platformer being dead. A well-deserved score. Absolutely, exactly. And I, uh, championing those 2D platformers, uh, I was thrilled to see them really enjoy this. Because there, there is every chance they could have been down the Dominic Diamond route being like, oof, this is a bit dated. And I, maybe if it was Rick and Dave, they might have been. Actually, no, Dave would have still championed this. Dave was still flying the flag for 2D. But that would have probably also made Rick even more anti. That's it. Rick would have even stuck his flag further in the ground that, no, this needed to be a 3D Mario 64 clone is what it needed to be. You know, there's something very pathetic about a grown man or walking around attacking spiders and flies with a puny can of spray. Much better taking them out using big guns and explosives, which is what you can do in a Shadow Master on the PlayStation. Shadow Master is a very good example of a modern arcade game. It's very slick, very well presented. This is one of those games that you can just pick up and instantly play. It takes five seconds to get into it, and as soon as you start, the adrenaline is pumping through your system. The creators of this game, Cygnosis, have already used these kind of lighting and visual effects before. I mean, they've used it in Colony Wars, they've used it in G-Police, and now they've brought the thing firmly on the ground with Shadow Master. It's very, very visual. The game's designers seem to have taken an awful lot of influence from the Alien films. There's a lot of sort of hooded, clawed nasties wandering around, a lot of spiders, insects, general creepy crawlies. The nearest comparison for me is Forsaken, which is yet another incredible game. And uh, at the moment, there's very little in the way of first-person shooters that can uh, remotely compare to it. The bottom line to this game is that it's very, very scary. Atmospherically, it's very claustrophobic. The monsters seem to come out of nowhere, and the whole feel of it is cramped, dark, Terrifying. So I, I have a feeling, Ash, that you've got some things to say about this review of Shadow Master on the PlayStation. There's a couple of things. One of which is there is more misinformation because Shadow Master 
giant bugs, guns, explosives. Why would you use a can of rage when you could blow things up? Yada, yada, yada. These guys really like this game. They're the only ones. <laughs> they are the only ones. Reviewers did not like this game. This game got mostly negative reviews. While they did praise the visuals, they said the gameplay lacked. It was glitchy. The controls were bad. The game was bad and they should feel bad. But then we also get into that area of misinformation because Rob says that Psygnosis have used these lighting effects before in Colony Wars, G-Police, and so on and so forth. But it's not a Psygnosis game. They published it, but it's not a Psygnosis game. It was developed by Hammerhead, a company that was formed out of the remains of Traveller's Tales. But I suspect they played the game, they saw the Psygnosis logo, and they went, ah, there we go. And then you start linking those things together. Because you look at that and be like, oh, they use that in G-Force. I do wonder if maybe the reason they liked it is because of something in general we've talked about with Games Master Reviews, which is they don't get a big review window. So did they not have long enough to play it to find it disappointing or frustrating? And to flip back to Yoshi's story, did they not have long enough to play that to realise how easy it was? Yeah, it's the same with Final Fantasy VII. You'll be disappointed for the first few minutes. That's because that's all Rob had to play. Basically just played that one mission at the start and was like, cool, I've now got to make a decision on the rest of this 70-hour game based on the five minutes I played here. But Rob and Richard are generally really high on this game. They really big up the graphics, the atmosphere, which in fairness does actually tally with what a lot of other reviewers did praise. And they said it's very scary, very claustrophobic, and the whole feeling is cramped, dark, and terrifying. But where they stopped short was going... And it plays like us. I'll tell you what was surprising to me when I was watching through this. I thought this was an on-the-rail shooter. Now, the way that the, there was flying through, the footage was flying around and stuff, I thought it was an on-the-rail shooter because I've never heard of this game before and I'd certainly never played it. So I presumed when I went to go and do my research, I would get on-rail shooter, particularly as well because um, Richard calls it a modern arcade game. So I just thought it'd be like Time Crisis, Virtual Cop, and this and the other. But it's not. No, it's got more in common with your average first-person shooter. In fact, yeah. Rob directly compares it to first-person shooters, saying there's a gap in the market. There is. The gap can be filled by a copy of Doom for your console of choice. Absolutely. But still, 89% will be the highest mark that Shadow Master will get. I think the rest of the reviews I saw, the highest was like the 70% area. And even then, I think that came from one of the magazine sources that, if we're brutally honest probably got a lot of paid lunches but i think we'll have a little celebrity challenge now what are we playing games master young people today are particularly well known for their short tempers but my challenge tonight on poi poi on the playstation brings an unwelcome new meaning for the childish tantrum each of my contestants will take on the role of a boisterous brat on the flat land level of the game and attempt to vanquish their three opponents with a selection of rocks logs and explosive rockets. Each player will have a variety of throwing moves at his disposal, and as well as restoring health, occasional power-ups can make a character very fast, very slow, or in the case of a black time bomb, very big. The joystick winner is simply the last babe standing, and um, apart from that, anything goes. Ready, go! Boy, do I wish they were playing something else. Bomberman? Exactly. I mean, granted, I know they didn't like Bomberman 64 much. Saturn Bomberman is right there. Yeah, but then you do have to play with the Sega Saturn, and they're not doing that. Propping the fire exit open. 
Here we got here is Poi Poi, and it's just it's it's a bunch of little mini games. It's almost like a primordial Mario Party before Mario Party adds a board game element to it as well. And you just pick things up and you throw it at each other. It's shit Bomberman. It is what this game is. It's playground fight Bomberman of I'm just going to pick up things and throw them at other people in the hope that it knocks them out. Not even knocks them out of the arena. Just just saps their energy and their will to live i think you would have a fairly fun afternoon with this game an afternoon might be a stretch but if you've got like three other friends around and you've got a multi-tap and three other pads you might have a slight fun afternoon with it but it might start to lose its its flavor a little bit after that fourth or fifth battle amazingly it did do well enough to get a sequel i mean in japan i think it was quite popular because why wouldn't it be and I do appreciate that it does make use of the PlayStation Multitap and it does provide a four-player party-type experience. One that I imagine would be good for gamers and non-gamers alike. Yeah. Because simple, basic controls, you can get the concept of, oh, I run around, I pick up rocks, I pick up logs, I pick up rockets. I can also pick up other players and yeet them. Sounds fine. And dead bodies. I really enjoyed that bit where once you've defeated one of your opponents, they don't just disappear. They don't just lie on the ground. They become weapons. More fodder for you to throw. But slightly more exciting than the game that's being played are the people playing it because not since Take That have we had such a high-caliber band on Games Master. Right, our guest today, I've got an album out in the charts, and on that album, in the studio, they worked with KG, Cameron McVeigh, and Johnny Douglas, which is bizarrely coincidental, because they've just finished an extension to my patio. Please welcome All Saints. <laughs> welcome to the show, Shazney. Thank you. Uh -huh. Welcome, thanks Hi. very much indeed for coming on. Thank you. Welcome, Hi. Natalie. Thank you. Nice welcome, Mel. Now, uh, Shazna, let's begin with you. Now, you have got a tattoo. We're big fans of tattoos on this show. Oh, excellent. Where about is your tattoo? <laughs> and what is that tattoo of? Uh, uh, it's rabbit. Chinese year of the rabbit. That's what I am. Right. It's my Japanese. Now, uh, we also like piercings on this show. I have mine there. Does that hurt? No, it doesn't. It didn't hurt either. I don't remember. I had about four or five years ago yeah. in um, <laughs> the Woodstock reunion in New York. Uh-huh. And some big hippie called Shadow did it. And yeah. that's all I remember. <laughs> Because I've always wanted to get one done because I've, the belly things are a bit old, but I want to get a massive brass door knocker put on one of my buttocks. <laughs> well, so what about a doorbell? But if you're at a party and someone wants to touch you, they can just knock. No, a doorbell would be more modern. Yeah. <laughs> doorbell. Get a bit of a shot. Now, you, now, you two are sisters, yes. Natalie. You, you and Nick are sisters. Now, did you do that like sisterly thing when you're grown up where you nick, did you nick each other's clothes and stuff like that? If she nicked my clothes, I'd beat her up. Oh, we still do. <laughs> yeah. I beat her up now and she nicked my clothes. Uh -huh. What do you Cause... mean? I don't touch your clothes. Because I've got a sister, I've got a sister like that, and she bizarrely, she nicked my clothes uh, and my house and my car and £20,000 from my bank account. <gasps> so if you have seen Theresa Diamond anyway, the FBI, I'll look you for her. Uh, now, I would imagine being in a girl band is one of the best things in the world. It's, I'd certainly love to be in one. Wait, Mel, what is the best and worst things about being in a girl band? Just being together with a bunch of girls and having fun, you know, like friends, and it's like, that's yeah. cool. Worst bit, fighting, bitching, yeah. pulling hair, scratching. PMS. PMP. Oh, yeah. That's the that right. time of the month. Any viewers who don't know about that, uh, when you get your first girlfriend, and you certainly will. <laughs> yeah, Gamesmaster said that the joystick winner will go to the last babe standing, and those four babes are about to be a hot act in the UK. All Saints 
I am a big All Saints fan. I really, really liked All Saints. I had the All Saints album. I would have got it for Christmas 1997. Never Ever, which we're going to get as a number one single in, in a few weeks' time, is a big, big release. Huge release. If I'm not mistaken, it's like the third biggest selling single by a girl group still to this day. That's like that's behind like Wannabe and um, something from Little Mix. Shout out to my ex. Shout out to my ex. There you go. I feel bad for them because they've had a couple of reunion things that just didn't really pan out or didn't really work. But here in like 1997, 1998, they are a big hot ticket item. And they will get a few more years. They'll have more years than the but they'll never get like Spice Mania. There was never Saints Mania. No, there was never Saints World, the movie. No, I mean, unless you want to count the rise of cargo pants wearing in in Britain in, in the late 90s, then maybe you could say there was Saints Mania. Although did have a successful video game franchise. All Saints? Yeah, Saints Row. Oh, I see, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How could I forget? Although, difficult reunion recently. Yeah, I was an All Saints fan. I like the album. Uh, it's got a fairly dodgy cover of um, Red or Chili Peppers Under the Bridge. But I think Never Ever is a brilliant track. And I was really excited to see them on Games Master. Very disappointed to read in the book that they did not have a good time on the show. Or they basically went on the show believing that it was beneath them until they found out how many viewers that it got and then sort of changed their tune a little bit and had a bit more fun. But in this interview sequence you can get here, Natalie has decided that she is not on board for this. As the older of the sisters, she is not on board for Dominic Diamond's brand of humour. Which is amazing because only this past year she dressed up as a fawn for the Masked Singer in the UK. So how times and attitudes towards silly television shows change. Although, in a brief just brushing my lapel moment both me and my partner worked out that it was one of the appletons that it was an all saint ah. inside and i'm like it's one of the appletons <laughs> kind of interchangeable it could be one of them and we got that and i was very very happy to be right but yeah I, I think natalie is it's not just dominic diamond's sense of humor it's that dominic is super pervy uh, in this interview here like basically like asking you know Shazni about her tattoo because it's on her boob and then looking at her younger sister's belly button and asking about her piercings and stuff it is like it's peak pervy diamonds it very much is and i've watched the interview a number of times trying to work out if they were all just humoring him if some were kind of bemused by it and honestly you look at them it could go either way it could do i wrote in my notes that they're humoring him it, it felt like they were humoring him. They describe it in the book that they were a bit like arsy about being on the show. It's not like everyone else that's been brought on for the celebrity challenges in Games Master, which are just friends of Dominic Diamond. So they're all just having a nice time. This is one of the only few you are on here to promote an album and to promote a single. So they kind of, you know, they are doing this as an obligation and think that it's actually a bit of a waste of their time and then they found out that this gets way more viewing figures than a lot of the other shows that they're doing and then their tune changed and they started to put a bit more effort in and i think you might see some of that in the second half of the show when they're actually playing the game like they feel like they're a bit more into it but here it 100 feels like they're just humoring this show that i reckon they think is probably going out at half past 11 
on some nonsense channel that's on really low in the sky numbers. This is going out on Bravo. Yeah, or like it's going out on Paramount. It's going out where basically the Night of Plenty was. It's going out between repeats of MASH and Mad About You. Yeah, and they're like, we're just wasting our time here. And so he's like, no, 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 we're a prime time on Channel 4. We get millions of people watching this show. We get more viewers than Live and Kicking or that's something it. like that. Exactly. And when, you know, if you when you put it like that, they must have just sort of looked at their surrounds and be like, really? This this show? This setting we're on here does better viewing figures? That seems weird. This is primetime television on Channel 4? You're having a bubble, aren't you? Bubble and squeak. Leak? Bubble bath. Bubble bath. Okay, I'm with you now. Having a bit of a matey. Doesn't work for, for me because I would say bath. Bubble bath. Lath. Doesn't work as well. <laughs> anyway, now we've finished deconstructing your slang. Let's get back to this interview because there is some gold amongst the awkward. Nicole being asked about her piercing is great because, and I, I, I love the just the pure honesty of this story of, I went to the Woodstock reunion, I got very stoned. She leaves that bit out, but let's read between the lines. She got very stoned and a big hippie called Shadow did it. I can't remember anything other than that. That is way cooler than Chasney's It's the Chinese Year of the Rabbit because that's my year. It's got it's way more interesting of going, yeah, I got randomly pierced in a muddy field by a hippie called Shadow. Got by a hippie wizard. Maybe that's why Natalie is so unhappy is because she's like, you got it done what in the where? I think they do humour him then when they're talking about him getting a piercing of a door knocker on his buttocks so that the people can knock it so they can have a conversation. And they're like, you should get a, do- you know, a doorbell instead. I think that there's a semblance of trying, but there is also an overwhelming sense of, yeah, let's just try and get through this. Mel's the one I feel most bad for, though. He just gets to the end with Mel and he just asks her, the straight-laced question. What's it like being in a band? You say he asks a straight-laced question. I mean, first of all, I just want to get past Dom's brilliant joke about his sister. They talk about the sisters, do they nick each other's clothes, this, that, and the other, and Dom's like, yeah, I had a sister, she nicked my clothes, and my car, and my house, and £20,000 for my bank account. So if you see Teresa Diamond anywhere, solid joke. Great A joke, great setup, great delivery, and the best thing is, the girls buy into it for a second. Yeah. Their initial reaction is, oh, and then they get it. It's like, oh, he's doing a bit. And I think that's unfair because it's not his fault that they thought he was being serious. No, as well. And I thought he was going to go the wearing women's clothes route. I thought that was where he was heading. So I think he actually heads in a much better direction. He zigged when you thought he was going to zag. Absolutely. So Dom does ask Mel the straight-laced question. However, he does it off the back of blink and miss it absolute filth because he says he imagines being in a girl band is the best thing in the world. He'd certainly like to be in one. Dominic Elizabeth Diamond. You wash your mouth out. Absolutely shocking. Mel chooses to ignore it or doesn't see it. I think Mel just has her answer, which is just, you know, she's got... It's a template answer. It's this and another... And then she gets into the other half of it, which is it's about the fighting, the hair pulling, the bitching, this and the other. And then just off camera, um, Natalie, I feel like, is the one who's having the most fun on this set, just goes, the PMS. And Mel's like, yeah. And then she realizes, oh, maybe this is prime time, half past six, probably should explain that. Um, you know, when you get to that time of the month and Dominic's just like, do you know what? If our audience don't know, they soon will do when they get a girlfriend. Dominic's answer is great. And I think they get a bit more on side with him there because he's not punching down on that one. 
he's found a way to turn it round and make it all good. It's a nice moment. And Mel does set up Dom's next joke because when she's talking about it, she's like, oh yeah, the worst thing about being in a girl band, the arguing, the bitching, the fighting, the pull, pulling the pulling hair, and then starts making cat noises. So Dominic leads into the break saying, he's going off to find videos of all saints fighting, biting, scratching, and pulling each other's hair. Basically, Luke, he'll be in his bunk. Uh, okay, while I search for videos of all saints fighting and biting and scratching and <laughs> pulling each other's hair, we'll go to a commercial break. Where's Bert? I can't play without him. Who's Bert? This is mascot Teddy Bear. Here's Bert. He had bigger ears. Let's look at that one. No, it's the nose. Here it is. Way too fluffy. Not going anywhere for a while. Grab a Snickers, because nothing handles your hunger better. It certainly looks like Bert. But it don't smell like him. Hungry? Why wait? Is big news. I got you a right guard commercial. Mm. Making a big epic Hollywood performance of great smelling. I can perform great smelling. Great. They also need a big epic Hollywood performance of dryness. I could do dryness. The thing is, they need great smelling mm. and dryness together. Together? At the same time. Surely nothing on earth could perform such a task. New fragrance, new dryness, new right guard, unbeatable aerosol double protection. Nothing performs better. Bums. Weirdos. What does she want to go to New York for? Furthest mum's ever been is New Malden. She doesn't even like lights. I think I'm really lost. Is that it up there? This I think it's up there. Take oh. the fifth F plus. Of course, quite a stir down the club. <laughs> it's her money. She can do what she likes, will it? Good looking out, baby. I feel better already. Your city's turned me into a shopaholic. I got the flavour. I love New York. I'll give you all of New York. Taxi! Have a nice day now. Whatever you've set your heart on, make sure you've got MasterCard in your corner. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Fancy 
Glitzy celebrating your Ritzy Glitzy extravagant side? Then indulge yourself with Muller Candy Corner. Or enjoy the side of you that craves nature and purity. The side that's sheer Muller Fruit Corner. For every side of you, there's a corner. After a hard day working out, me and the gang like working out. McVitie's Go Ahead, apricot or apple fruitings. Light golden biscuit around a tangy fruit filling. 95% fat free. 100%. So go ahead, people, make your day. Starting in the Sunday Times this Sunday, get away from it all. With up to 50% off a huge range of holidays to over 100 destinations around the world. See this week's travel section only in the Sunday Times. I'd like to dedicate this to a great teacher, to Howard Brackett from Greenleaf, Indiana. The statement. And he's gay. The reaction. Whoa. The denial. I'm not gay. Now. We just never ran into each other here at the intersexual. Homosexual. Intersexual. The truth is coming out. Is he gay? I know. No, no, no. Yes, he is. Excuse me. In and out. Why doesn't anyone believe me? My mom, my Look at my hand. New from the X-Files. Is Mulder dead? Redux. Find out first on video. Welcome back to Games Master, our special guest today, our old sage. They've brought along with them their big collection of tattoos, piercings, and whatnots. They're going to play Poi Poi, help me out in the cool commentary box. Rick Henderson. Rick, well, well aware of your fantastic pirate like earrings. Have you got any secret tattoos? Um, I've only got one very secret tattoo, and it's not even on my own body. Whose is it on? <laughs> It's on, it's on that person you murdered and buried under the <laughs> Rick's line here. Okay, here's what I think might have happened is, again, there's no rehearsals on Games Master, so Dom is like, I'm just going to ask you a question. The question he asks, have you got any tattoos? And Rick's like, well, it'll be funny if I say that uh, I've got a tattoo, but it's not on my body. Not thinking about what the follow-up question might be to that, which is, what? And then he's just like, I've got no answer for this, so I'm just going to laugh and put my head down. And Dom just goes, probably that one you buried. I thought it was a great answer because Dom's like, do you have any tattoos? And and Rick's idea, I think the idea Rick's going for is, I've got a secret tattoo. It's so secret, it's not even on me. Yeah, That is the joke he was going for. That is a joke he was trying to land. Unfortunately, because no rehearsals, one take only, it doesn't quite. And that just gives Dom the avenue to go, well, it's because you're a murderer, isn't it? Yeah, of course, Maria. Stop murdering people. Rick, you might listen to this. Stop murdering people. Uh, what is there to say about this challenge? I mean, I, I can tell you exactly what there is to say about this challenge because it's mostly what my note is. They pick up things and throw them at each other. Shaz is eliminated first. Mel is eliminated second. It does give us the in any other game, interesting scenario of sister versus sister. But then, after using one of Mel or Shaz as a weapon, 
Nicole wins out of nowhere. That's the challenge. That's it. It goes on for a while as well, because we're in the second half of the episode and it's this and the feature and then we're done. So it it feels longer than maybe it actually is, but it is just a lot of the same repetitive shit. Disappointed my girl Mel went out second. She was she was my she was my all saint. So I was really pulling for her to get the win here. I bet you will. <laughs> Even though the Appletons going up against each other is the much more like that's that's a good sort of final uh, final battle for you. But my favorite part of this challenge, and it did genuinely make me laugh, which is when Nicole picks up a large rock and throws it, and in doing so, hits two of her bandmates. And Dom says, "Oh, that was really good throwing." And off mic, you can just hear her go. Fantastic rock throwing action there. That was from Nikki there. She landed a crack. Thank you. (laughs) We've had a number of moments like that in series seven. And it's just, it's lovely. It's lovely, lovely moments. It's again that idea of because there is no studio audience there, they are just hearing each other just chat very, very close to each other. Also, like the visual, all four of them sat there with their PlayStation controllers. We wanted more of these sort of multiplayer challenges in Games Master. I just wish it was on something that was not this game. Performance is in reverse order. Shazni, starting with you. You didn't last terribly long there. No, I'm not very good at this game. I'm um, a professional at Street Fighter. That's not bad. That's about 17th on our all-time good excuses. Uh, Rhoda, then Mel, you were the next one to copy. What were you finding difficult? Um, holding the actual control pad. Not many people find that part hard, the holding of the joystick. Wait, Is that I... a size thing? It could well be. Uh-huh. Now, we were left with the two sisters having a fight. She was trying to like blow me up all the time. She was throwing things at me all the time. She even picked me up and threw me, didn't you? I certainly did. <laughs> so leave me alone. But post-match, Shaz says she didn't do well. She's not good at this game. She's a pro at Street Fighter. And immediately I just went, I want this to be true. That's what I thought. I was like, put them in a Street Fighter tournament. Single elimination. Any fighting game. Any fighting game, there'd be transferable skills. Absolutely. Single fight. And you can do more of those girls fighting each other type jokes if you want to. Just do them on single elimination Street Fighter. Put them on Street Fighter EX plus Alpha from a couple of weeks back. Absolutely. True or otherwise, Dom does say, it's number 17 in the all-time great excuses. It really is. It's not even blaming your controller. It's going, if this was Street Fighter, I'd have kicked all their asses. I'm choosing to give Shaz the benefit of the doubt. I'm believing she's a regular Street Fighter master. I am too. Poor old Mel, though, walks into this next one without with and i don't know how she didn't see it coming either i think she did you think you think it was all set up because like her laugh afterwards is just like oh, i should have seen that coming i think she knew the territory she was skittering into because she says she had difficulty holding the controller and dom's like was it too big and she was you look at her holding the controller in the game She's holding it like she might hold a venomous spider. She's not quite sure what's going on with it. I think the only reason why I don't think it was a setup is because she does not use joystick. Dominic Diamond introduces joystick into the, the fold here. She just says, I had difficulty controlling holding the pads. And then he's like, oh, yeah, difficulty with the joystick. Was it a size thing? And then was like, oh, I should have seen that one coming. But she does follow through on it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. She doesn't. She does not like bat away from it. She does play into it. But then we end with two sisters fighting. They don't really have much interesting to say. They say nothing. And then Nicole wins. Dom has a tattoo. This is actually probably the funniest joke of the entire segment. 
He has a tattoo of a pair of pants just in case his trousers fall down and he's forgotten to put a pair of pants on. Of all the gags that Dominic tells where I think, is this believable? Dominic Diamond having a tattoo of a pair of pants, I find all too believable. I think if I was to uh, get a tattoo to commemorate the journey that we have been on, it would probably be a, like a silhouette of a pair of pants or something. Unfortunately, we're not going to know about Dominic's tattoo because for legal reasons, it can't be the subject of today's feature. Although, I really kind of wish it was. Fate of the universe will be decided as it should be. Immortal combat. Funnily enough, Stephen Hawkins wrote a book about the very same thing. Having conquered the big screen once already, B-list actors everywhere are strapping on styrofoam chests for the second round of the greatest pan-dimensional punch-up in the world. Break out the bikinis and hockey masks, it's Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Once again, a nasty, rotten, bad bloke Shansung has opened up a gateway to Earth and has dragged our heroes away from a peaceful life of monk-hugging. So, cute girls in leather fighting each other, of course. As well as the standard martial arts moves, the actors had to undergo a strict training regime of ballet dancing, playing hide-and-seek, and trampolining. Despite all this, Mortal Kombat Annihilation promises to be a special effects bonanza, with computer graphics and models combining to reproduce the characters we've all come to love so much. We're doing something that's never been done before in special effects. We're having 100% digitally animated creatures fight in hand-to-hand -hand Mortal Kombat with human beings. This final feature is disappointing on multiple levels. A, it's Mortal Kombat Annihilation, a, a disappointing movie. But B, we've basically already had this because we had this a couple of weeks back when it was in the news. This is just now they've got the EPK so they can do the news item, but maybe twice as long. And there's a couple of interviews there with Lynn Williams and, and Talisa Soto. But because we had it just a handful of weeks ago, it just feels like almost recycled content. I will give it a passing grade, though, because Larry Kastanov talks about how good the CGI is, and I know that to be a lie. <laughs> My exact note for that interview segment is, Larry Kastanov appears to say they're doing something that's never been done before. 100% CGI creatures fighting hand-to-hand -hand with human beings. LOL. LOL is the only one I wrote down as well. I wrote down Kastanov in all caps, because I love Kastanov. And he talks about how good the CGI is. LOL. I did also think Dominic got a quality joke in here saying that Shang Tsung has opened up a portal to Earth again, ruining Liu Kang's favourite hobby of monk hugging. <laughs> monk hugging. <laughs> I thought you were going to be the one about uh, the, the babes getting guys hard. I mean, that one is just, that that's Dominic being Dominic. But you're right, he says having the name Lin makes you soft. But the on-screen interpretations of Jade, Sonya and Katana will make the audience hard in the crotch area, if you will. Bonus, maybe. He makes a joke at the end about Mortal Kombat getting a Broadway musical, but, I mean, they did have that stage show. And that was a news item earlier in the Games Master run. It would not shock me for there to eventually be, like, some sort of fringe Mortal Kombat musical something or other, particularly something around Sub-Zero and Scorpio, because they're always popular. You could do some kind of operatic thing going on there, but this film looks bad even in the EPK. Yeah. Like, we talked so much about Starship Troopers earlier and how it was misrepresented in the EPK, how it was made to be something that it very much wasn't. This press kit doesn't even make this film look good. It makes this film look cheap it's got a real made for tv vibe about it it's not a good movie it's not a very well made movie either you know i i still find it 
hilarious that 1995 was the year of Mortal Kombat, but it also was the year of Mortal Kombat that felt like the, the popularity of this series is starting to wane a little bit now. And here we are in 1998, and it really does feel like Mortal Kombat is not at the level of popularity it was in 93 and 94. And it's a shame. It's just, it's just, it's a shame because it took us so long to get to another Mortal Kombat movie, which, well, not as fun as the 1995 Mortal Kombat movie. I would argue the recent Mortal Kombat movie is a better film. It takes itself more seriously and therefore just feels more like a movie as opposed to the 95 one, which feels like a video game adaptation, a, a, a kung fu movie adaptation of a video game. It is a Mortal Kombat movie that actually has fatalities in it. Hey, you know, there are fatalities in the 95 one. They, they do one finish him scene. This one has proper fatalities, <laughs> repeatedly, multiple, and arm removal, and goodness knows what else. But I don't know, if, if Mortal Kombat Annihilation had been good, would we have then got the good Mortal Kombat movie a few years ago? Possibly. I mean, yeah, would they have actually just ploughed on with, with, with Drew McQueenie's script that we, we spoke about? I mean, actually, I mean, Kasanoff would have done, because Kasanoff has been a, a big flag bearer for Mortal Kombat when he's not suing them. I think that he would have wanted to push forward with this because this has been a very successful thing for him. And uh, Kasanoff is a, a fascinating, fascinating character anyway. This is his biggest success story, really. And, you know, he has had other things. He has worked for other very successful people. But the only other movie that will really be associated with him is Food Fight. And that is never going to come up in our timeline. But it is one of the most brilliantly fascinating disasters of, of cinema history and an unmitigated failure that has got too many wacky stories around it to be sort of contained into, into one podcast like this. But that's the guy that Kasanoff is. Like, when I found out that Kasanoff was the producer of Food Fight, I was like, holy shit, does that make sense? Like I was saying, why I own so many bad movies on Blu-ray. It's not because of the movie, it's because of the story behind them. That's what makes the movie fascinating. And it's kind of funny, really, then, because I don't think that works for Mortal Kombat Annihilation, because Mortal Kombat Annihilation is still just a bad movie. And the production of that movie was, we made a movie badly. <laughs> I suppose the difference is, and actually this also would be true of Food Fight, is some of these like B-movies and shock movies I've got over here, for the benefit of listeners, I'm pointing towards a bookcase that's just off camera, is they're years down the line, and like boutique Blu-ray and home release labels have found people involved and they would talk quite openly about what a fucking mare it was to make the movie and all the things that the studio did wrong and all the things that they did wrong and this that and the other they will look back on it somewhat frankly and affectionately that's never going to happen for mortal kombat annihilation you're not going to get a special edition blu-ray of mortal kombat annihilation you're not going to get a special edition of food fight no unfortunately not john ali and etty doesn't really like talking about this movie the cast don't really want to talk about this movie. A lot of people just don't really talk about it. Like, even when, like, I interviewed Kasanoff about it, like, he doesn't really have, like, a lot of negative things to say about it. It was just like, yeah, we made mistakes. We made a lot of mistakes making it. Can it be so? I'm afraid it can be. There's only four more Games Masters to go. That means four weeks until the television world weeps more tears than the male guests at Pamela Anderson's wedding. Good night. There we go, Ash. There's only four more episodes to go. Four more episodes of Games Master, four more episodes of Under Consultation, but really it's only three because that last episode is, is not your typical episode. As they head off into the House of Pants for the evening, what 
sound effects track is he just going to play this week? It's explosions, although his subwoofer is turned up way too loud. It's causing the camera to shake. He needs to sort that out. Needs to get one of those little meters in that you put in the middle of the living room to just EQ everything. And then the moment you move a potted plant, it ruins it. But actually, that is going to wrap us up for episode six. What did you make of this one? I thought the first challenge was great. The banter was great. The news section was fun. The reviews were interesting. And the All Saints challenge was entertaining for mostly the wrong reasons. I think the All Saints challenge would have been very dry if not for having the knowledge that the Games Master Oral History has brought us. That being, All Saints weren't taking this seriously, then they found out the viewing figures, and suddenly Dominic had their full attention. For me, this is an episode I've had more fun discussing than I had watching. Like I thought the first challenge I thought was fun. I, I enjoyed the lads on there and the game itself was quite good. But the second half I, I did not get on board with because it's quite a boring challenge of, of All Saints playing. And then the feature, uh, as I mentioned earlier, is just a recycled news item that we only had two weeks ago. So it didn't feel like there was a lot in that second half that kind of maybe like oh mate i think you could go out your way to watch this one so i'd never really a lot of recommendations about it but kind of going through the episode with you and talking about it, i'm like actually this episode is better than i'm giving it credit for because i do think that i think the first half of the episode is very good the second half's quite dire though the second half is interesting but as i said not necessarily for the right reasons i think the mortal Kombat annihilation feature is interesting to see as We've talked about electronic press kits quite a bit this episode and how Starship Troopers misrepresented a movie and how Mortal Kombat Annihilation just knew they had a turd on their hands and then you had people like Games Master going, well, we've got to sell it anyway because that's the deal we've struck or that's, to be honest, more likely the reason why it ended up as a feature, that's the material we've got to work with. And it should be mentioned as well that when you say, like, or when I say rather, the second half of the episode series seven those first halves are so much more packed than previous series have been because you have the intro challenge one the news actual challenge one reviews intro to challenge two interview with uh, challenge two and then the ad break so the second half of the episode is just the challenge and the feature it's such a shorter second half than than there has been previously those first halves are packed, packed full of content. So all of the good stuff is in the first half, but it's also a larger portion than the second half is. Yeah, I mean, it's the first two thirds. Yeah, almost. Pretty much, Certainly yeah. in content, even if not in time. Absolutely, I would say so. What are you thinking percentage-wise? Where are you sitting? I'm guessing neither of us are in the 90s. No, I'm not in the 90s. I've had, I was actually low 80s. I was sort of sitting at about an 81, and I was bumped up because originally I was kind of in the late 70s, but I don't think it's that low. So I'm, I am bumping up into an 81. I'm a bit higher than you than this. I'm 84. Okay, that, I think that's our biggest disparity we've had in this series th thus far, and it's only three. We've had bigger disparities. We really have. In this entire run of Games Master, but I think three points of a 100% scale we, we can survive that for another four episodes. But that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. You can find us on social media, on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console, and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. 
And we are nearing the end of a series, so we will be needing your Series 7 feedback at some point soon. So start getting those emails across to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to chat with us in real time, chat with other listeners, other fans of retro gaming, retro pop culture, modern pop culture, modern gaming, future gaming, all sorts of entertainment, you can do so over on our Discord, details of which can be found in the show notes and on social media. And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where you'll get access to UCP Extra and our monthly community show, Under Console Nation. At the £5 level, you'll get next week's episode one week early and ad-free. The £10 level, you get a little bit extra. Ash, what is that? At the £10 level, they get our golden glittery joystick waggler mug stuffed with stickers, badges, retro sweeties, retro trading cards, all sorts of goodies. And I take it and I package it up and I stick it up a small green dinosaur. And a shout out to those £10 backers, Adam D, Adam Warrington, Alexis, Andrew Cummings, Andrew Greenwood, Andy, Arcadia Wild Bill, Chris Price, Chrissy Two Sticks, Colin, David Palmer, David White, Gordon, Aitken, Gordon, Brands, Gordon, Dempster, Harriet Mangagirl, I am Cheadle, Ian Roberts, Ian Williams, Jamie, Joe McGonagall, Joe Mitchell, Joe Trigg, Kevin, Kylie, Lawrence, Liam, Link, Mark, Matty Boo, Misha, Nick, Phil Stopford, Retro Fund for Everyone, Reese, Richard, Sarah, aka Pink Lithium, Sean, Selena, Simon, Super Sexy Dave Fisher, The Amazing Cliff, Tom S., Tom Dylan McEvoy, William Cottingham, Xanderthal, and Zach. I just want to give a quick shout out to another podcast, the Two Geeks, Two Beers podcast, who recently did an episode looking at Games Master. And I've got to say, it's fascinating to listen to what I would call an outsider's perspective on Games Master. And by outsider, I mean someone that hasn't been talking about the show for over 150 episodes. And just seeing what their recollections of it were, what they thought of the show. They asked a bunch of questions which they didn't have answers to, and I just found myself sat there just talking at the podcast going, oh, well, actually, I just really fucking annoying myself at the time. But it was a lot of fun. And also, crucially, they thought that Kirk Ewing was sexier than Dave Perry. And I think that alone is worth listening to the podcast for even though I disagree with them on their opinions on Mortal Kombat 1995. We'll see you in seven days' time. Take care, everyone. Good night. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.